Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Hey, Father Jeffrey, welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. It's a good, uh, it's a good, uh, what, what is it? It's a Thursday morning when we're recording this and it's a bright sunny day. So yeah, I got a smile on my face and my mic is working. So everything's good. <laughs> what more can you ask for? Exactly. Well, uh, today we're going to be looking at some of the evening litanies and evening prayers that occur in Vespers. So, so far we've gone through Psalm 103. We've gone through the litany of peace. We've gone through the Cathisma. We've gone through the Lord I've called, you know, Psalm 140, 141, 129, and 116. And we've gone through gladsome light. And we've gone through the Prochemina that, that uh, occur at different days during um, Vespers. Now, we're into the latter half of Vespers here. And we got a couple of litanies. And uh, sometimes they're in different orders, depending on what, what solemnity of Vespers you're doing. So I think let's just dive in, first of all, Father Jeffrey, into the litany of fervent supplication, or sometimes called the triple litany, because this is where we sing Lord have mercy, not just once, but three times. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, growing up in the Orthodox Church, just being a layman for most of my life in the Orthodox Church, my understanding of this litany was it was it's just there as a time for the community to pray for the particular needs that it has locally. Is that a good way to think about this triple litany or the litany of fervent supplication? I think so. I mean, you're referring to I, the possibility here of a couple of things. One is that unlike the great litany or the litany of peace that we talked about before, which kind of is an all-encompassing you know, opening litany where all the concerns of the world, all the stories of the world are kind of being wrapped up together and saying that this is important, you know, as we come before God in the presence of uh, the, the grace of God as a co covenant community, let's remember the whole world here. As you say, there's a kind of inward turn towards the community's specific needs in a couple of different ways. One is there's the possibility here of naming people. Of course, we named bishops, um, we, we named the sovereign or head of state in the, the Great Litany, but there were no specific commemorations of particular people who are ill or departed or going through any other um, issues or you know the things that we would need to specifically pray for in terms of intercession. But here it's encouraged. The, the, the prayer books will say names, you know, and, and leave a, a blank for you to add specific, you know, people who are suffering uh, or who have departed or who are bereaved or who have any kind of, of need. And, and also the second way is that there is the possibility of adding extra petitions. So there's a kind of standard set that will always be there, but usually the, the prayer book will say something like at this point, you know, the, the deacon or the presbyter, whoever's saying the petitions of the litany can add 
additional prayers. And usually there's some kind of appendix in a in the service book that will give a list of those. People who are traveling, people who have been recently baptized, people who are going in for operations, people who have a, a particular any particular need. And and so not only do we name them by name, but we can add specific petitions that are thematically appropriate for the prayers that we want to to say. And so we've gone from praying, you know, generally and for, you know, the whole world under a whole lot of very, you know, broad themes to as I say, the specific needs of the community, the people who are are around us. So it's highly appropriate to have brought those needs to those who are leading the service ahead of time. So can you pray for, you know, so-and-so who's going in for surgery this week, or, you know, my aunt has just died, here's her name. And so the, the giving in of names and that participation, even outside of the actual liturgical service as a way of connecting, you know, to it kind of comes to the fore here as, as all of that is, is kind of remembered uh, in the midst of the community. Yeah. One thing I think to remember is that the presbyter will remember all those names given at the preparation service for the Eucharist, mm-hmm. right? That he, he reads through the names of all those people who have, you know, if some of our listeners are familiar with the practice of, well, I'm going to write down, um, a bunch of names of the people that I want prayed for and you give it to the priest or you leave it in a specific area that will eventually get to the priest, uh, to the presbyter, I should say. And then he will actually read them. But one of the issues with that is that it's done privately, right? For the most part that often, um, there isn't the chance to sort of publicly exclaim the names of the people that we're praying for, but this, the litany fervent supplication would then, I guess, give us that opportunity to be able to, exclaim the names of the particular people we're praying for as a community. Yeah. And as I say, it's a, a real opportunity for participation on behalf of the community. It's you know, highly appropriate that, you know, all of the, the names of the people who are on our own hearts and minds will be brought forward at this point. And as I say, the, the possibility of adding additional petitions that are specific to their needs um, is, is, I think this is to, to fully take advantage of this part of the service to, of what's being offered here that this is what the point is. Uh, it's not just simply a repetition of those same categories, you know, although the, the, the kind of core set of prayers are, of course, for the bishops, for those in seats of authority, for the departed, for, for those who are sick. Um, and so it is possible to deliver this litany in a, in a very generic sense and not name any names and not add any extra petitions, but that's to lose or miss the opportunity that's being presented here. Yeah, and uh, maybe what we could do is just quickly read some of these uh, litanies here. Um, that way that we have a bit of context on it. So mm-hmm. the litany starts with, you know, let us say with all our soul and with all our mind, let us say. And I really feel like because we've just gone through um, the lamplighting psalms, gladsome light, the offering of the peace, the prelude or the prelude verse or the prokemenon. And then sometimes in some Vespers or in some communities, an Old Testament reading is done. Right. So it's, it's like a lot of stuff has just happened. Right. And then this, whenever this litany comes around and specifically this petition, it sort of recenters me on, on the, on the track. Right. Like, let mm-hmm. us say with all our soul and with all our mind, let us say it's like, okay, like I, I've been focusing on a bunch of these other things and now we're back on track to like continue on towards the end of Vespers. Um, 
I'm not sure if that's just a Father Yuri thing, but uh, <laughs> that's how I've experienced this litany. Well, we've said before that you know we should pay attention to the instructions, right? Um, that you know are are given, whether it's by the presbyter or the deacon. You know, things like stand upright are important, or let us attend. Uh, so when the deacon begins, let us say with all our soul and with all our mind, he's calling us again to to as you say, center ourselves, to refocus, to to put all of our our effort, all of our energy, all of our enthusiasm into precisely this effort. But of course, it's it's more than that. It's about saying within the context of everything we've just set out, right? Because we've we've come through that whole process of entering into the community together, of going from isolation to community, all these themes that we've explored before. And we've, you know, sung the evening uh, hymn of praise to Christ as the light. He's brought us into his very presence. And then in those prokimena that celebrate God's majesty and glory and so forth. So it's in the context of that being joined to the community of God's people in God's own presence. Now we can do this. Let us say with all our soul and with all our mind, now is the time where we can call forth and how special is that, that we can call forth the, the very names of the people we know, that we live with, that we care for, in that context, amongst the people of God, before his very face, his glorious, gracious, loving presence in our midst, that now we can call forth um, you know, his loving protection and care for all the people that we love. Yeah, and then we have two short petitions asking, just reminding us of God's mercy and asking for God's mercy. And then we have, you know, a, a, a petition for our bishop or bishops. Then we have a petition for the civil authorities. And then we dive into, you know, we, we pray for um, the dead, those who have departed this life. And then we pray for the living after that. And then I believe it's right after that, that extra petitions can be added at the discretion of the rector. That's right. So, um, you know, as I say, those are the kind of generic catch-all categories, the departed and those who are still alive. And so under the, you know, the one for mercy, life, peace, health, salvation, visitation, pardon and remission of sins is kind of a, a catch-all for all the things that could ail you as a living you know, Orthodox Christian, member of God's uh, community and so forth. But then we can go on and specifically pray for those who have needs like being sick or, you know, recovering from an operation or uh, traveling or being in prison or being persecuted or, uh, you know, going through some other trial or suffering of this life. There are a whole lot of different prayers and petitions we can add at that point. Uh, one that I mm -hmm. frequently add myself is for mothers who are expecting children, right? So, um, which is, uh, I think, a very special moment for, for them during the service to be remembered by name, along with the child that they're bearing. Absolutely. Uh, and then this last lit, uh, petition here, uh, again, we pray for those who bring offerings and do good works in this holy and all venerable house for those who labor and for those who sing and for all the people here present who await your great and rich mercy. This one, as I was a choir director for years and years and years, this one uh, I loved because very often those who are called to be doing a job during the liturgy, like I found it very difficult sometimes to actually pray. Um, 
you know, you're singing, you're leading, but you're always maybe one step ahead. You're thinking, how is, you know, where do I need to pitch it? How is this going to work? Especially, you know, if it's, um, there's a bit of unfamiliarity with the, the liturgy, you have to be extra focused to make sure that, you know, you, you are facilitating the worship of others. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so I found that this was very nice because you could, you know, people are praying for me because, you know, sometimes it's tough for me to pray for myself as a choir director. Right. I, and to be remembered in this way is, is kind of special because there is a, a, a special kind of sacrifice that is being offered by those who are playing roles during liturgy, particularly services that are, that come around less often that you're not as familiar with. There can be a lot of nerves and preparation and, uh, you know, distraction involved and, and you've, kind of get to the end of the service and you wonder when you were supposed to have prayed. And so uh, to be prayed for in this particular way, that those who labor and sing within the services, it, it it's it's a re- recollection too that, that this is actual work on behalf of the community of God. We're, we're not just coming to this place for a little bit of rest and relaxation. This is one of the main jobs of people who belong to the community of God's people is to, to gather together in one another's presence, as we said, in the presence of God and to do this work. It's why the deacon has said, again, let us do this again. Let us pray again. Let us pray. And remember those are instructions and the people are doing the prayer. Lord have mercy. Uh, whether it's some once at the beginning of this litany or three times, this is the real work of the people of God. And so, to remember that as uh, good works that are being done in the house of God. And sometimes, uh, you know, that we need an extra prayer for those who are leading choirs or singing or serving and that sort of thing. And so uh, that abundant and great mercy that is being called for from from God is is particularly appropriate for, for, for those who are doing that labor. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Well, let's maybe move on to the next section of Vespers there, which is the evening prayer. Um, so yeah, we just went from, you know, the Prochemenon, maybe an Old Testament reading right into the litany of fervent supplication that ends and we move into the evening prayer. Father, maybe I'll just read the whole thing here and we can Mm -hmm. go through it because it's quite short. Uh, vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us this night without sin. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers and praised and glorified is your name forever. Amen. Let your mercy be upon us, O Lord, even as we have set our hope on you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, O Master, make me to understand your commandments. Blessed are you, O Holy One, enlighten me with your precepts. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever, O despise not the work of your hands. To you is due worship, to you is due praise, to you is due glory, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. There's a couple of things here that I think might 
stand out. Uh, first of all, that the word amen appears in the, in the middle of the prayer. Um, yeah. uh, so that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, also, a lot of this is just straight up uh, biblical, like uh, quotes from Psalms that are taken mm-hmm. and just kind of put here in prayer form. And then the keen observer might actually notice that this prayer is actually a small part that belongs also in the great doxology or the, or, or just the doxology in general. Right. Um, yeah. And maybe a couple of observations here just to make things maybe a little clearer. Uh, vouchsafe would probably just be a fancy word for saying like give us or, or grant to us. Yeah, in a gracious or even condescending way. I mean, kind of stoop down to give us, right? Right, uh, right. And to protect us. So it's a recognition that, uh, you know, what we've, although what we've just been saying is that, you know, we've gathered as a community in the presence of God. That's not because we've been able to lift ourselves up, right? That's not because we are the ones who have ascended, you know, somehow on our own merits or strength towards the throne of God. It's because God has graciously stooped down to us, you know, through the incarnation, through all of his saving acts and so forth. So tied up in this word vouchsafe is this kind of uh, condescension in, in a good way, like not, not, not a condescending tone or anything yeah, like that, yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but the, the idea of God's standing down from his place of glory in order to, to lift us up. Yeah, and this first, maybe we can go section by section here. That might mm-hmm. be a good way of doing this. Sure. The first section there, uh, it really has the strong echoes of the poetry that comes from the three young men in the furnace, right? So, you know, vouchsafe, O Lord, to keep us the same with the sin. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of our fathers, and praised and glorified is your name forever. Right, which um, is a re- repeated refrain in the song of the the three children, right? Right, and, it appears elsewhere as yeah. well, but... but um, well, well, the thing that appears elsewhere is just the God of our fathers, right? That's mm-hmm. a common motif. Um, but yeah, as you know, anyone who's familiar with the Vesper Liturgy of Holy Saturday would recognize, you know, praised and glorified is your name forever. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's fairly clear. I don't know. Is there anything else there? I believe you, Father <laughs> Well, exactly. Because, I mean, we find that same thing happening throughout the Psalms, too. Um you know, amen is is a, an acclamation, uh, one of these ecstatic words of, you know, may it be so kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, absolutely. It's, it's a reference to all of that tradition of, you know, uh, ongoing praise in the temple of, of in the presence of God and, and so forth. And so, I mean, you, you just sort of sense that you're entering into that uh, ongoing worship of heaven when you kind of, when you make use of the the words from the Psalms like this or the song of the three children and words like Amen and Alleluia and so forth, always kind of enter into that, that spirit. So there's a very Psalm-like quality to this, a very temple worship-like quality. And, um, and yeah, so it's, I think the, the whole of this prayer kind of sets that tone for us as it were. And it's, it's a recollection that we, you know, as we enter into this covenant community of worship and God's presence, that it's not us in this one space and time moment, but rather it is the ongoing, right? The praise and glorified is your name forever. It always has been, and it always will be. And it's the God that we're praising is the God of our fathers and our ancestors, of our forebears, of, of those who go right back to Abraham. 
and his call. And so that's the tradition of prayer that we enter into. And there's this kind of, you know, almost archaic quality to to entering into this prayer, which is, I suppose, why, you know, even in your very modern translation of this prayer, you keep a word like vouchsafe, right? Because there's this I don't know, there's this quality of, of antiquity about this, about this, like there is when we, we sing the doxology as well. You mentioned that this is kind of a co- compressed version of, of the doxology that appears in other services, like in Matins. And, um, and it feels like you're entering into this ongoing, you know, prayer of the heavens uh, that, that the people of Israel were invited to partake in and that we too are, are, are made members of. Yeah, and an interesting thing to note in that first line, but save the Lord to keep us this night without sin. If you're actually doing the doxology like in matins in the morning, you might say, keep us this day without sin or this morning without sin, depending on the translations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually change that word depending on the time of day we're singing it. Um, and then that next, those, that next couplet there, let your mercy be upon us, O Lord, even as we have set our hope on you. Um, it kind of paints this synergistic relationship with with God there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to say about that couplet. It's not, you know, there's not too much there aside from that, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is in fact that synergistic relationship that we've already been entering, entering into in this service, right? That we, the whole point of us coming to this place is to set our hope on God, not elsewhere, not to turn to other things. We've turned towards the one true God and, you know, that's our job is to set our hope on him and his response or, you know, which is actually one that comes before even our capacity to set our hope in him. It's the one that comes before our, our turning towards him even is that he has mercy on us. And we're just asking for that ongoing um, sharing and pouring out of, of that mercy. And as we said before, this isn't, a plaintive kind of pity that we're asking for. This is God's chesed, the eleos, the this this covenant love that with which He surrounds and wraps us, and and, and which permeates every aspect of our life. It's it's an entering into uh, the, the kind of fabric of of true life is what it is to be having God's mercy set upon us. Alrighty, so this middle section here. Blessed are you, O Lord, to you stream your statutes. Blessed are you, O Master, make me to understand your commandments. Blessed are you, O Holy One, enlighten me with your precepts. Father Jeffrey, it's my understanding that in the original language, which would be Greek from, from our Septuagint manuscripts and things, that, I mean, I don't know if this is something you know off the top of your head, but that this is actually a repetition of the same phrase three times, Right. Um, well, the word that is rendered here as statutes, commandments, and precepts is the same word. So both in the Hebrew and then in the Greek where it's uh, um, it is one word, right? That's so repeated three times. But the, English the, the teach, the make me understand, enlighten, those are different words. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause they, so then the English translators here have tried to maybe give us a bit of variety shades shades of meaning maybe if we were to you know if we were to give them a generous interpretation it would be that they want to display the different shades of meaning that this one word has precisely here's an opportunity to to do it we we just repeat it three (laughs) times so how about we give you the three major ways that this word is translated and then you can combine those and have a full understanding of what we're talking about exactly that yeah no i don't see it necessarily as problematic uh, you know it's um 
you know, as long as you kind of recognize there is one Greek word behind those three uh, terms. But you're right. I mean, the, there isn't one good English word that renders that that Greek word you know, perfectly. So statutes, commandments, precept. Interestingly, it's the same word that uh, is used in Greek for rights, like in the sense of human rights and, and everything, which, you know, if we were to get into a whole discussion of that from an Orthodox perspective, uh, it would be fascinating. Um, so what we're asking for is to enter into the, 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 path of righteousness that God has set out, right? Because we often think of rights only in the sense of our kind of self-protection, our, our kind of self-interest and so forth, my rights to do this or that or to be protected from something. Well, the proper way of a full human life, which is actually even better for you than even if you were to set out to defend your own interests, is to enter into God's holy path. You know, this is the abiding theme of of throughout the Psalter, right? Of God's Torah, his righteousness, his his the path of his laws, his statutes, you know, especially Psalm 118, which of course we read, you know, at every uh, Orthodox Christian funeral. We read on on Holy Saturday at Matins for our Lord's burial and uh, our, our the praises at the tomb and so forth. So this path of righteousness is what we're asking to be taken into. And that ultimately you know, would solve every political, social, economic problem. You wouldn't need human rights if everybody did this. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Mm. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, all right, this next section here. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Would despise not the work of your hands. I think sometimes that can come off, you know, rather negatively for some people. Like, what, does God despise the work of his hands? Why are we asking him not to? Are Are we... Are we groveling at the feet of an angry God? I mean, I'm reading it as ungenerously as I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but but I do think that there are people that this it does come off that way, especially if they've been perhaps, you know, scarred or, or something by different, you know, Christian upbringings or, or, or things like that. Oh, despise not the work of your hands. What should we make of that, Father Jeffrey? Well, the... I mean, if you think about the the kind of metaphor that's being invoked here, right? Um, that we are the work of God's hands, right? That, like that's that's a tremendous way of expressing God's ongoing creative activity, right? We spoke about this when we spoke about the opening psalm of Vespers that creation isn't a one time thing, and um, I think the you know if we if we were to put this into the model of creation happens, you know, God creates us, we're the work of his hands. And then he just watches from a distance to see how things work out. And of course we turn out to, you know, not fulfilled our vocation, our our purpose, and we've turned away from God. And so therefore, you know, this is a, this becomes that kind of more desperate plea that, you know, don't forget us now that we've kind of ruined everything you've made us to be. But if we think of it more that we are God's ongoing work, uh, you know, the, the, the image, so therefore that I think this being invoked here is more like the potter, which is an image which is used for God throughout the scriptures and even into the, the New Testament, you know, St. Paul picks up that, that imagery, the, the God is like the potter at his wheel, right? And if you think about that ongoing work of shaping and shaping and shaping and, um, 
so we are, we're not done. You know, we, we said this before in that opening song that, you know, we're going to die and become malleable clay and then we are going to be come human, then we are going to be created. Creation takes place kind of at the end rather than just simply, you know, back in time. And so if you think about that potter, reshaping, 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 and it's it's a it's not nearly so dire as the, you know, created, fallen, and now let's plead so that God doesn't forget about us in our fallen state. I mean, obviously that that story is there too uh, on some level. But in the Christian East, it's never been that kind of fall from perfection into depravity, right? There's more of the sense that God is still working on us. And so the work of, of God's hands, despise not, is, you know, just carry on, you know, keep working on us. And which is why it's set against this other verse of God's mercy enduring forever. It's the potter who is continuing to shape that clay at his wheel whose mercy is ongoing, enduring forever, whom we can trust with this work, right? I wouldn't want to be in anybody else's hands other than the one, the, the potter, the, the crafter, the maker, whose mercy is enduring, right? Because you don't want that moment of, you know, I give up on this one, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to pick up other clay and, and start again, right? So it's this and if you think of that image of, of the potter who is still shaping it, shaping it, shaping it, until finally it's cast into the fire to be to be made permanent, right? And that, of course, is the imagery we have from from the end of time, the day of the Lord, the the, the, the refining fire, the, the the river of fire, and so forth. So the clay then will be hardened into what we are to permanently be. But in the meantime, we're still being shaped. The gods work of his hands is an ongoing process. So I don't read it so much as, you know, don't, don't reject the finished article, but keep working on us, which is, I think, a little bit more positive. Mm -hmm. All right. So the last little bit here, to you is due worship, to you is due praise, to you is due glory, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. This seems like a classic formulation. Um, you know, a couple of words of, of praise and then, you know, and then addressing the praise to the Trinity now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the is due, I mean, maybe doesn't even carry the full force of what we get in the Greek here because it's, um, preppy. So it's, it's kind of, uh, appropriate, you know, what, what is, what would be the right thing to happen? You know, uh, is that God receives worship praise glory this is the uh this is the appropriate and we get this in the divine liturgy too with it it is meet and right you know to do this uh it's not just you know this is the contractual obligation this is the the kind of transactional thing that we're doing you know god carries on creating us having mercy on us and and we will render therefore worship praise and glory no no this is the, the very way everything is it is the most appropriate thing to do, the, the, the most meet and fitting thing is that God receives our praise, our worship, our, our glory. And, and so that, again, puts the work that's being done here. We've spoken about God's work of his hands. Well, the work, you know, the, the last time we was, used that word ergon was, you know, in, in, in relation to the, in that litany, the, the, the work of, of the people of God joined together in prayer. Well, this is our work. God has his work with us, shaping us, forming us forever. And our work is to give glory and praise and worship to the one who does that. 
You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time. 